This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. It's the last Monday of the month, so time for another wrap-up with the co-founders of Environmental Journalism Portal Makaranga, Wong Siu Lin and Lau Yahua. We're going to do a roundup of big news from August. Welcome both of you. Lovely to have you on the show. Uh, let's get straight to it. So I think that one of the big news that came out uh, this month was that the lanthanide mining in Hulupera is going to go ahead, you know, despite all the protests and, you know, despite all the outcry over it. And we were talking about it the last time that, you know, it's on a site that's, you know, part of the Central Forest Pine primary linkage, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Or at least based on the information that we could get, it is. So this mine project, it's uh, in Northern Para. It's actually, you know, it's just actually down the road from the Baling flood area. You know, it's like just down the road from the Baling flood area. So it's just at the, it's just inside the, uh, just about, it's a Kedah Perak border. And it's going to take about 2,100 hectares. And it sits in what we think is a, a primary linkage of the central forest spine. And so that, of course, is it's a bit of a concern, right? Because if we... Uh, if the project mines the place, it could prevent reforestation for quite some time. Uh, and then that will obstruct the animal movement from Kedah to Pera and then to the rest of the Titiwangsa range. However, uh, whether it really is part of the CFS, you know, based on our investigation, it is. But the government has actually not confirmed that. I mean, the EIA report of the mining project says it is part of the CFS. But then the Ministry of Para has came out to say that it is not, or at least where the mine is, it isn't part of CFS, it isn't part of the forest reserve. And in the last parliament sitting, YB Nuruiza did pose a question to Ketsa, to the ministry on, on this. And in her question, she did describe that the site sits in CFS. The ministry's reply did not address CFS like did not mention CFS at all, so we cannot, you know, you know, officially we cannot confirm whether it is or it's not. But you know, interestingly, the ministry did say that you know of the two thousand and one hundred hectares for the project, only about half of it will be used for the mining project, and the about five hundred hectares that is forest reserved will not be mined. And the ministry. Uh, made it quite clear that such sort of mining would not be allowed in uh, environmentally sensitive area and would not be allowed in forest reserves. So that 500 or so hectares of these 2,000 hectares would instead only be used for EIA uh, studies. Mm-hmm. However, you know, satellite images have showed that a good portion of that 500 hectares has been like cleared uh, in the last uh, two years or so. Wow. So, yeah, but having said that, you know, we've got to remind everybody that this mining project, right, this is a, it's a lanternite rare earth mining project. It's quite different from the one in Linus. You know, Linus imports the, the, the raw materials from Australia and processes it here, whereas this one in Northern Para is not a processing facility, where it's a mining facility, but it's also not an open pit mine. So it's one where they just inject the liquid through pipes into the ground, chemically extract the rare earth materials and then uh, after some processing, export the rare earth minerals as like solid bulks and sell it overseas. It's supposed to be less environmentally invasive than uh, the open pit ore. And and just one last thing to note is that whatever happens 
in this lanternite mine in Perak is actually going to be a sort of like a maybe like a template for many more rare earth mines in uh, northern peninsula Malaysia because the government is actively promoting rare earth mines as the economic activity for Malaysia. Yeah. Okay. I think for me, like, you know, is, is wastewater involved? Like, you know, usually mining involves quite, quite a large amount of wastewater. Uh, there are technologies and processes that can enable the filtering and the recovery, right, of, of these uh, tailings and to ensure that they don't leach, that they don't accidentally spill, uh, you know, go into the air and, and, all, and all the rest of it. Because, of course, it's still metal and metal pollutes uh, soil, pollutes plants, pollutes rivers. Yeah, so the current pilot project that's been approved and will start in September, according to the uh, Menteri Besar of Perak, is actually like a pilot project to make sure that, you know, that the project is safe for the environment. So we, we just have to keep our eye on this, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely going on, right? There's no more sort of like... Uh, yeah, just, everything yeah. has been approved and everything is, uh, yeah, it's, it's approved and it will proceed. Okay. Yeah. All right. So a lot, of, a lot hanging on that then, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, quickly moving forward, uh, just at the end of July, there was a coral study that was published, right? Uh, a Malaysian study, actually, that found, I believe, that the most common coral species used in coral gardening ain't that great. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, replanting corals is the way forward, uh, according to science, because we're losing so much coral area in Malaysia and indeed all over the world. Uh, so, so the replanting of corals has been happening for a long time, decades even. You know, little uh, efforts here and there, and resorts all over, maybe you know, from Sabah right down to the east coast of uh, Peninsula Malaysia, uh, done by agencies, done by private concerns, done by NGOs. The the issue is that you know, uh, there's been actually no studies done ever on uh, the monitoring of these uh, coral replanting programs, you know, mm. and, and which species are actually the right ones, which ones have a very high survival rate right. under different conditions, you know. And so w- this paper is quite interesting because what it did was to track six species over a, f- a very long period, 14 months, right? So that's actually a very long monitoring period. And then it's properly, it's scientifically done. They've been documenting. And what they found, yes, indeed, is that the most common species used, which is uh, in layman's terms, is actually a staghorn coral, Acropora muricata. Yeah, that's that's very popular. It's, it's basically hard coral, the spines, you know, that, that, that sort of coral. Yeah. yeah. So that's, you always see that in, in pictures being used. Uh, unfortunately, that's actually proven in a 14 months in a nursery, right, to not have such great survival rates. However, there are some other species of the six species that actually have proper survival rates. But of course, they have to take all these out of the nursery, put them in you know, so-called real-life conditions in different parts of the country and then and see how they go. Um, just a note in case people don't understand what this whole coral planting process is about. It's basically what you do is um, uh, they, they use what they call reef-building corals. So these are hard corals like the uh, stacon corals, right? And what they do is they create skeletons out of calcium carbonate. That becomes rock, it becomes a structure for baby corals and then both hard and soft corals can then settle you know so that's the process basically mm-hmm. so yeah so you know the thing about this is coral restoration or coral or growing coral you know coral gardens uh, i think probably a good number of us have already pa- have participated in such uh, programs you know we see it in, in in the newspapers and stuff yeah the thing is um it's, it's important to do because with sea warming, coral would be bleached, and you know the the worst estimates are that you know ninety percent of the world's like tropical corals would be dead or bleached, you know, uh, by twenty thirty. So continuing efforts to monitor and find 
yeah, it, it's, it's quite complicated. We only spoke about survival. Then there's it's like how much they will grow and how much they are resilient to the changes in the environment. So it's quite complicated. Um, it's a bit like growing trees, I think, uh, with our, all our projects. So yeah, so there's also, again, we have to keep an eye on this and hopefully channel more resources into uh, finding the best ways to actually grow corals in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so the NGO Coral Coup, who's kind of you know involved in this project, have talked about the great need actually to reduce greenhouse gases. You, you plant corals and then the sea temperatures keep on going up. And then so what's the point of that? So you have to find, Yohua mentioned resilient corals, resilient species, you know, again, the areas differ so much as to and then where do you plant them and monitor, monitor, monitor. And of course, it's a, a kind of whole of society approach. So their, their project was uh, on, on one island on Langtanga. It was actually supported by a resort, mm-hmm. you know, so tourism operators can kick in, you know, your, your livelihoods depend on beautiful coral reefs, you know, and the tourists yeah. want to come and snorkel and dive. And so, you know, get involved. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, it's, it's the same as terrestrial, isn't it? You got to plant the right trees at the right place. It doesn't it doesn't just mean you can just plant it wherever you like and you know pat yourselves on the back. Um, okay, um, but just looking forward, we've got Merdeka coming up. But you know, just a little bit after that, there's an international day of clean air on the seventh of September, and I know we've been having some haze back in Sarawak, right? Coincidentally. Yeah, the, the, the haze is going to come. So it's a bit of a kind of transition year with El, El Nino and La Nina, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, but this, this is one of the, we, we thought we'd we raise this because it's got one of the prettiest names for a UN International Day. So the full title actually is the International Day of Clean Air for Blue Skies. <laughs> and isn't it lovely? Yeah, lovely, it's yeah. going to be on the 7th of September. Uh, yeah, so so basically what it tries to do is, is, is to talk about uh, basically the greatest, um, the single greatest environmental risk to human health um, it's air pollution mm. you know and it's certainly for Malaysia uh, besides local air pollution we also have transboundary pollution and that comes primarily from the haze and yes in early August in Riau more than 1,000 hectares of land was burned according to Mongabe right yeah. so this is just going to continue happening over and over and over again if the monsoon winds favor us then it's not going to come over uh, but you know fires are a big uh, issue and Global Forest Watch new findings suggest that uh, uh, fires in the tropics have increased by about 5% per year since 2001. Yeah, and again, just like with corals, um, climate change. Okay. All right. Well, um, well, that is something that we can definitely uh, keep a lookout for. And uh, yeah, I think, um, didn't Indonesia just successfully sue a Malaysian company for, for haze? I mean, for causing haze as well? Yeah, so that's that's a step in the right direction, I suppose. Um, but, you know, I'm afraid we've run out of time. But if folks are interested in Makaranga's work, just head to makaranga.org. Wonderful articles there. So many topics covered. They're all about the environment. My thanks again to my guests, Wong Siu Lin and Lau Yaohua, co-founders of Makaranga. If you miss any part of our conversation today, Download the podcast at bfm.my slash earth or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.